Hello, welcome to Round Book Pod. This is Anna Koki, your host for this week. And with me, I have Steve Amidown. He is an archivist at Bowling Green University's Pop Culture Library. Thank you so much for joining us again. You've been on the show before, but I am so thrilled that you're willing to come back yet again. Of course, I'm happy to be back. It's always always good to have a break in these slightly uncertain times. So. Yes, yes. We are all like experiencing our jobs in a very different way. Yes. Uh, and and I appreciate you making the time from home today. <laughs> of course. Yeah, if you hear Star Wars in the background, that's uh that's my five year old. Yeah, I, I am the loud one in the house right now because they're like, boy, when you get on those voice chats, mom, your voice carries. I'm like, yes. <laughs> so, Steve, today, this month of April, we're talking about sort of unusual or like different from the norm representations. And so, like, I talked to Corey Alexander about neurodivergent heroes and then I wanted to talk to you about sort of the changing way heroes are presented in romance and how you've experienced seeing it as an archivist. Sure, absolutely. So I think it's really interesting to kind of cast your eyes back. You know, you can look back at the um, the Harlequins and the, the Mills and Boone books from the, the 50s and 60s, and you see a very certain kind of man. It's always you know, the doctor or the lawyer or someone who's very take charge, very emotionally distant, mm-hmm. you know, eventually he kisses the heroine at the end of the book and, you know, happily ever after from there. And then in the 70s, you see the development of uh, especially Kathleen Woodywiss and and Rosemary Rogers, the, the quote unquote bodice ripper hero, mm-hmm. um, where he is violently aggressive and um, you know, needs the to birth be of our alpha hole, right? Yeah, exactly. It, it literally the alpha hole is born, and you know, it's it's been interesting. I'm part of part of our lockdown. I'm going through a lot of the the kind of um, the research texts mm-hmm. that a lot of romance scholars have been using for the last two or three decades. And you know, what you see is in the '80s, there's there's a a sort of backlash against the alpha hole as contemporary romance becomes more popular you see more of the enlightened male or the you know the ceo mm-hmm. um, who's battling against a female character who's also the ceo like you, you see battle this of the more sexes. sort of yeah battle of sexes battle of equals mm-hmm. um more than that and then you get to 1992 and the publication of dangerous men and adventurous women which was uh, edited by Jane Ann Krentz. Mm-hmm. And it's, I think it's 19 different authors who are essentially saying, almost all of them saying, we love alpha males. You know, we don't want yeah. these enlightened men. <laughs> um, and so it's a really interesting sort of switch back and forth. Mm-hmm. You know, and then obviously more recently, we've seen kind of the the cinnamon roll, the beta man, wh- whatever mm-hmm. you want to call it, mm-hmm. um, become more prominent. And I actually, I found a really interesting article. So Dangerous Men and Adventurous Women comes out in 1992. I found an article from uh, Romance Writers Report from 1994 by Pamela Browning, who, you know, was a longtime romance author. Mm -hmm. Um, I think wrote more than 40 or 50 books. Uh, But the 
the title of the article is literally Beta Man, I Love You. <laughs> uh, <laughs> you know, so there, there's always been this back and forth, and a mm-hmm. lot of it's been between authors. It's not even, you know, between sort of books talking to each other. It's authors sort of arguing back and forth. Um, so I think it's really interesting. Yeah, you know, I came into romance the 2010s, mm-hmm. and at the time, there was a lot of that billionaire CEO. Uh-huh. And uh, a lot of, I read a lot of PNR, so literal alphas. And it's interesting to see how much the conversation changes and doesn't change. Because yeah. there, there was a lot of debate. And, uh, and we were smart bitches and trashy books talking about the character, the name Beta for that sort of softer hero. And, uh-huh. a lot, and a lot of people just having issues with that being a term, right? And so they would go back and forth and like, let's, let's, it's not beta, it's omega. And it would be all sorts of things. (laughs) And so it's fascinating to me to like, I've now been in romance long enough that everything goes around, comes around. And it's Uh just interesting to see like, yeah, you're seeing it in the, in the 60s, 70s, 80s. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing is the, the longer view I get of romance, like the more I'm, I'm sort of digging in, like the more these just, these things just go in circles. Mm-hmm. They just come back around. Every single argument that you see today has been had before. And so it's interesting to look at it from a historical perspective, you know, and see how much of it is attached to sort of societal changes mm-hmm. um, or, you know, just people feeling uncertain and, you know, things sort of shifting under their feet and they want comfort or they want, you know, this super, uh, super alpha hole uh, hero. Right. Really? So like it, it make it would be great to like be saying like, OK, this is a reaction to uh, the, the sexual revolution. This is a reaction mm-hmm. to the increasing women in the workplace and and uh, just going back and seeing how they're responding, not just to the romance genre, but to the cultural moment. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, it's it's never never just one thing with romance. Mm-hmm. It's always based in in some societal change or moment, you know, like the, the alpha hole in the seventies was a reaction to, you know, essentially to hippies and Mm -hmm. feminism at the end of the sixties, early seventies coming, you know, these sort of softer men and more dominant women, you know, romance sort of comes around to not beat it back, but it's, it's a reaction against it almost, you know, it's always interesting to think of romance as being both, progressive and regressive at mm-hmm. the same time yeah especially when there's this whole element of what is fantasy right mm-hmm. and what role it plays in what people are looking for like i hear all the time and i've said it too of like oh i would i couldn't stand this kind of character in real life but i love reading about it there's sometimes you go for the higher drama option right you want to read mm-hmm. about this kind of character if you didn't even want to relate to them in real life i think one of my earliest romances was the devil's bride right with uh um, okay uh stephanie lawrence and oh i would hit him with a brick at some point <laughs> that hero he doesn't even have to say i love you in that whole book she lets him get away with that but it was highly entertaining right so like there's all those things that play into why people gravitate towards certain characters yeah yeah and i think you know from from my own perspective like i i really started reading romance with courtney milan's brother mm-hmm. sinister series mm-hmm. which you know those are guys who are 
they're supportive of the the women that they're involved with and you know they're very much not sort of prototypical alphas no um you know, Sometimes so, and, they're wrong and need to be taught something, but overall right. they, they... But they're, they're trying, generally. Yeah. <laughs> and, you know, and I think that it's... I, I've been struggling with how to sort of word this, but I think, you know, as, as a man reading romance, mm-hmm. like, you want a male character that you can relate with who also kind of shows you a better version of yourself mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think from my perspective, the, these are kind of the characters I gravitate towards. I'm more interested in them and how they interact and 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 how those stories develop. So the bad boy uh, scoundrel character wouldn't necessarily be attractive to you because it's like, ugh. it depends. Uh, like, mm-hmm. I mean, they're, you know, it's forgivable in the hands of the right author. Right. But sometimes it's just like you just, as you said, you want to smash him in the head with a brick and <laughs> <laughs> hide the body and, you know, that kind of thing. It's like, you deserve so much better, honey. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> so are you seeing a change in how people approach your archives looking for this kind of stuff? Are they looking to more to research th- that beta hero? Or can you tell from what people are pulling up and are interested in learning about? I think I, I think there's there's an interest in the broader spectrum at looking at that kind of evolution. What I've seen a lot of researchers starting to do now is um, the history of romance scholarship has kind of always been based on texts. Mm-hmm. So it's sort of kind of, you know, I use this phrase not derisively, the, the English majors mm-hmm. um, who want to who wanna pick apart a, a particular text or a series. And I think what we're seeing now is more people who are interested in the history mm-hmm. And looking at the the genre itself, so not so they're looking at the RTs and they're looking at the exactly. reports and seeing what the discourse within the genre was. Yeah, so that that's what we've seen a lot of is is people looking at, you know, maybe it's the development of paranormal, you know, or sort of the rise and fall of a particular element of a subgenre, mm-hmm. that kind of thing. So that's what we're starting to see. We're starting to see more people looking at. The history of things like arabesque, you know, these lines that that are very important but are kind of under under described, right? Understudied, yeah. Right. Well, I'm glad to hear that there's people the the new generation of scholars looking at that because yeah. I mean I know other folks have been sort of talking about that. There's you know there we've all had a, a reviewer that we used to know and respect that's gone blogs have disappeared and so you know that there's all this discourse is separate disappearing seemingly into the ether you know right, uh, right so you want people to study it while it's out there yeah and and we were incredibly lucky with romantic times from what i understand it was someone i think it may have been sandra kitt who contacted you know who was talking with the staff over there and as they were you know, trying to determine if they were going to wind down publication, mm-hmm. they were, you know, someone said you need to contact BGSU and the, mm-hmm. the pop culture archive and donate some of this stuff. And they sent us their photo archives, which was, oh, I want to say it was about 30 or 35 uh, record crate boxes. So it's wow. really, you know, those really big boxes. Mm-hmm. Um 
and and it's been a fantastic resource and and we're really excited to be able to to give researchers access to that um, yeah i love whenever you post something from there you know like you'll dig up a picture whether mm-hmm. it's vivian stevens or somebody else and and um because and then i also feel good because i was briefly a reviewer for them so i'm like ha. Huh. <laughs> uh, yeah, you know the the one downside is that you know we didn't get a lot of the digital materials. Mm-hmm. So so after they stopped publishing the physical magazine and went all digital, you know, other than what's in the Internet Archive, you know, we didn't get a lot of access to that because that basically just disappeared one day. Yeah. You know, without without much notice. Yeah, we didn't get a so. lot of warning as reviewers, and a yeah. lot of us went and. <laughs> scramble to do pdf downloads <laughs> exactly yeah of our copy. And, and that's and and that's kind of what we hope happens for a lot of people is is that by talking about this stuff and talking about how important things like reviews are that people do think oh i should save my work I'm, and we're in the midst of a project right now to start archiving some of the the larger romance related websites so including something like smart bitches or or sites like that which which aggregate a lot of reviews oh that's um, fabulous so that we can trace some of that stuff over time outside would of the it include realm. like things like comments and all that kind of stuff then it would include whatever we can get access to right you know so you know sarah at smart bitches has been really helpful in this you know we're also looking at some of the podcast sites you know, especially ones where there are transcripts, mm-hmm. um, because we can't always archive audio, but we can mm-hmm. ar- archive a transcript. Right. Um, and researchers want transcripts generally, so they don't have to <laughs> sit, you know, sort of sift an through an hour yeah. of, you know, somebody talking about something uh, mm-hmm. to get to the good stuff. Well, that's great. I'm glad to hear that that's the kind of work that you guys are doing, because as somebody who's participating in this ecosystem, it's interesting to see you know like all the how the regular haunts have are disappearing and new places are mm-hmm. showing up and uh that those conversations so we don't necessarily always have to have them over and over again that we can move to the next topic <laughs> or or at least you could see where it came from you know mm-hmm. we can we can go back and look at the old paper rwrs and you know trace the evolution of the happy ending argument and you know, we can go to some of the the stuff that got published around the time where they did the um, the referendum on mm-hmm. one man, one woman, and 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 some of those things. You know, I think that's really valuable to the to the general discourse. Yeah. You know, not just sort of the academic discourse as well. Now, is there a favorite thing that you've uncovered while going through those kind of archives that you just didn't expect? from being part of the, the of just, I don't guess, things that you just like, aha. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. <laughs> okay, so I'm going to I'm gonna get up on my soapbox a little bit here. Sure. I hope that's okay. Yeah. So, so that's what podcasting is I, for. <laughs> literally. So the one thing that I came across that has become kind of my, uh, you know, cause celebre mm-hmm. is Janet Daly's publishing history. Going back to her very beginnings, you know, the the lore of it and what you will find in every publication anywhere is that her first book was published by Harlequin in 1976. 
the problem is uh-huh. the problem is that's not true <laughs> <laughs> so her first book actually eight of them uh huh. were public were published by mills and boone in the uk between 1974 and 1975 so and, and this is one of those things where i've been able to go back and look at you know the actual books so mm-hmm. you know actually looking at the copyright dates and and looking at some of the publication information and so being able to do stuff like that and then talk about it and say hey this is an important moment that we've mm-hmm. kind of gotten wrong and then you, you got to wonder why have we gotten it wrong and she she, exactly. she would say it right it was it was her story this was the story mm-hmm. she was telling and you know the best theory i've come up with is that you know, she wanted to be seen as an American author. Right. And so saying I was published by Mills and Boone is is like saying I'm a British author all of a sudden. You know, but she was the first American published by Mills and Boone. Um, right. So she, it's still like I really like could be a significant huge. Yeah, thing. Yeah. Yeah. And she wasn't the first American author published by Harlequin. So mm-hmm. like both of these things, you know, kind of uh, end up in conflict. Um, But it's a really good example of the kinds of things that we find, you know, when you kind of just let loose in the archives, Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. you know, when you can when you have access to all these magazines and all these things, you know, whether it's, you know, the Romantic Times file on Janet Daly is it's it's two folders (laughs) and they're stuffed, you know, so it's a lot of information that you can go back and look at and, and kind of process to better understand any given topic, but, you know, especially something like that. Mm. So I'll get off my soapbox now. No, no, that's great. I think I've, <laughs> I've seen you tweet about it and yeah. it is so interesting how I think, you know, people's story, people's biography gets massaged. Mm-hmm. Um, I think I would love to see someone go through and like track the biographies of certain authors and how it's changed over the years and why, why certain things have been, highlighted because you know i've run into it where you read the back the little mini bio and when you first start and there's a husband being mentioned and then later books that a husband's gone um and it's because people have life changes and then they have to change the the constructed uh story that they're telling the world right right because so much of romance is also about the personality of the romance authors at least how it's and people interact with it in social media now right yeah, and, and it's so much more than a lot of other sort of genre fiction or commercial fiction. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, with social media, like that's, it's true of a lot of things, but I feel like in romance, it's like, uh, I don't know, on steroids somehow. Like, And it's always been that way. And that's part of it is that it goes back to the 70s and 80s where you had these sort of obsessed readers who wanted to know everything about every author and someone like Catherine Falk, or uh, I've been going through this book, Love Lines, uh, by Rosemary Gilly from 1983. And it's mm-hmm. it, it's like, it's fan service right. in a lot of ways. Like, it's talking about the lives of the authors and the lives of the cover artists and all these other things. And so I feel like today's Romance Landia is just kind of all of that just amplified. Right. Um, yeah, and I mean, like... Like probably before I was aware of romance as a genre, I knew who Barbara Cartland was, right? Uh-huh. Because she her persona transcended that, right? She yeah. she it was the pink fluffy dog and the 
pink boudoir pictures and all that kind of stuff. And yeah. and so, you know, what it tells us of, of readers that are attracted to that and what it tells us about marketing that they felt that was a necessary thing to to create, uh, to promote the books. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. My brain is all clicking. I'm like, oh. <laughs> I, I was a history major in college. So the, okay. the, the, yeah. the, 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 the researcher side of me starts going like, wow, that would be really cool. <laughs> And yeah, this is this is a you know days ending with why for me like where I'm, <laughs> I'm just like ooh what about this and I dive in for a little while and then I go oh it's four o'clock I should uh, I get ready to go or something but it's a lot of fun and and it's fun to be able to to share that you know via podcasts and mm-hmm. and tweets and and all of these things um, and have people give me feedback you know saying that that they really appreciate it and enjoy it so i certainly really appreciate your tweets they light up the uh the feed whether it's you know just a, a picture and a caption that you've put out there or some interesting cover art that you've put up there mm-hmm. yeah like it, it's just an interesting i love i guess the history side of me i really appreciate that that's there and that i've learned something new because i feel like i'm still in such a newbie in the romance genre uh-huh. uh, getting to know those names and the, of the of the people who sort of have molded the industry in a particular way. Yeah, and and that's part of why I do it. It's not entirely for the researchers. It's it's for fans who, you know, like I, as I was saying earlier with the alpha male, you know, these things come in generations and and readers come in generations and to be able to sort of talk to people about, you know, this is where this trope that you love comes from is mm-hmm. is really interesting and and it's kind of exciting to to get people on board with it and it you know for our collections it helps us promote our collections and and you know lets people know that uh, out here in the middle of Northwest Ohio <laughs> there's there's something that could could be interesting to you so yeah well, that's fabulous thank you so much for talking about that now. Did, did you want to share with us and our audience some of those characters that you've discovered that you really love, those the softer heroes that you appe- that appeal to you? So yeah, so there, I, as I mentioned, you know, Courtney Malone's Brother Sinister series, Sebastian. The oh, Countess gosh. Conspiracy? Yes, The Countess yes. Conspiracy. It's one of my favorite books. I love Violet. Love, love him and love his whole sort of gregarious outside and, and soft, gushy inside. Mm-hmm. Um, I just recently read Kate Claiborne's Beginner's Luck. That's on my um, TBR. I need to read it. <laughs> yeah, you know, I so I use I use the words emotional idiot a lot when referring mm-hmm. to to male characters, and Ben is such an idiot, and I love him <laughs> dearly. But like, yeah, if we were hanging out, I would have smacked him upside the head. But it was a fantastic book, and and I really enjoyed uh, Kate's craft as an mm-hmm. as an author. Olivia Dade is another one. I'm partial, of course, because she wrote a whole series about librarians. Yes. So yeah. I so, beta I beta read her one with the bookmobile, so I always feel a little bit okay. like yeah, like I got to touch a little bit of that series. So yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, was it my Reckless Valentine? Mm. I think is is the one that I read first of hers, okay. and I just absolutely fell in love with with her writing style. Yeah, I think she's doing such a great job having sort of a tongue-in-cheek humor that still can carry a lot of emotionality to it. Um, oh, absolutely. 
Yeah. So, I mean, like, I love whether it's cover me dealing with such a deep thing of like cancer diagnosis and friends to lovers kind of thing mm-hmm. or the teach teach me with uh martin and rose and though you can have some like fantastically silly things happen in that book but also be moved so right. deeply by the the journeys those characters are going through yeah and i think that you know one of the interesting things in all of those books is that there is still an emotional journey and there are still obstacles to overcome it's just mm-hmm. not you know some you know numbskull pirate it you know it's it's characters who are more interesting and more complete as as sort of human beings yeah Um, you know it's it's really moving away from the alpha hole yeah i mean like a lot of her male characters just they have some really like harm emotional harm has come to them in some way Uh so they've created these defensive mechanisms and how they relate to people and so there's often like a breaking down of that Mm-hmm. And, but it's yeah it's a much more genuine journey than i must con- hit you over the head with my saber um right right yeah yeah no i hear you yeah any other favorites you want to share uh i'm just going through a <laughs> list here um victoria doll i think does male mm-hmm. characters really well or you know Actually, no, even now, she still does male characters well. <laughs> yes, when well, um, she's writing murderous even, thrillers. Yeah, even moving to murderous thrillers, she does really, you know, really excellent, excellent characters. I just recently read the first book, Evelyn Ever After, or Evelyn After. Mm-hmm. I have not read Jane Doe yet. That's, that's next on my list. Um, but even in that, you know, there was still you know, the, the gallery owner, who's kind of the soft, gushy guy, you know, that, um, that she falls in love with. And, you know, all of these, like, she just does male characters really well, um, without, again, without them being complete turds. <laughs> if I can say turds. I think I, think I can say turds. Yeah, I think yeah. you can say turds. We get yeah. hit by explicit, but for other things. <laughs> <laughs> So those are the ones I can think of off the top of my head. No, oh, I think um, those are great. You know, yeah. like I, for me, like uh, somebody I go to for my soft heroes are like Rebecca Weatherspoon. I love Rafe. And that's where a character can be very assertive and um, independent, but also provide a soft landing spot for their heroine. I love Alicia Ray. I think Samson in The Right Swipe and Jackson in wrong to need you um yeah those are just really interesting portrayals of vulnerability and uh, and i think jackson is such a fascinating character because at you know you go from one book where at the end of the book you're like i don't like this guy he's such a jerk jerk. and then at the end of the next book you're like oh jackson yeah, um, grilled cheese, please. It's like just like one of it, it's an amazing writing accomplishment to take that character and and make him into an absolute absolute teddy bear, you mm-hmm. know, who everyone loves. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, and and that's it's such an interesting thing of what a writer can do with by giving you their point of view. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's where that's a thing that it's not always present in romance, right? A lot of the times the hero point of view wasn't a regular part of 
the romance genre. Sort of right. another thing that's come in and out, right? Right. And that that's something where that really changed in the early 80s. Mm-hmm. You know, the early Harlequins were almost entirely from her point of view. And, you know, you would you would never get inside his head. And I think that has has progressively changed. And, and now you get a much more um, much more equal back and forth between the male and the female or the the between the two main characters right right Um, yeah and i was thinking too like in queer romance there's there's so much that gets into this too right um mm -hmm. what goes into what kind of what kind of tropes are represented and kind of behaviors are highlighted um Mm -hmm. And I mean, like I think of, I don't know if you read Ratcatcher's Daughter by uh, K.J. Charles. It's just a little short story. And it's I've uh, not yet. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's like a little novella introducing her any old diamonds series with the Lily White Boys. And mm. it's trans woman character and a ace character. And Stan, the, the hero in that, is just very gentle, not demanding but also very uh, strong-minded in his own way. And it's just, it's interesting to to sort of try to break down those tropes mm-hmm. when uh, there's also playing with gender fluidity and all that kind of stuff. Absolutely, yeah. Well, do you have any other things you would like to share with me or anything that we haven't talked about? I'm just really thankful for the amount of time that you've given me to talk about romance. No, I'm happy to. Um, I don't really have anything else at the moment. You know, we were hoping to have a romance conference uh, at yes. the end of this month, and that has uh, temporarily gone by the wayside. We're uh, hoping do you guys that... know what you're doing in terms of, like, do you want to reschedule for next year? Does it get pushed back two years? Because it's, it's an every other year kind of thing, right? Yeah, because I occasionally need a break. <laughs> <laughs> Funny. No, so so our, uh, our tentative plan right now is to put together some sort of digital version of the conference, mm-hmm. hopefully probably May or June at this point, okay. you know, kind of waiting for everything at the, uh, the institutional level to, to calm down a bit. You know, we're all kind of scrambling at this point, but we're hoping to have something so that our presenters get to talk and mm-hmm. everyone gets to hear them because I, it really was going to be a spectacular conference. No, your lineup um, was fabulous. I was it very was excited. Really, we're so fortunate to get to get the folks what we did. And we're hoping we can put something together. And we're hoping we can get Alyssa Cole to come visit us at another point. You know, we we, we want to have her come and, and hang out. So Yeah. Yeah. She's such a wonderful advocate for librarians and uh She really is. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to see her at librarian day at rwa Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. last year and yeah every everything you would expect from her is is absolutely the case so yeah and it would be interesting to have her talk especially somebody who has so much experience doing research and how that carries into her novels she likes beverly jenkins you know they they do an incredible amount toward building historical knowledge in their books right yeah and i think that you know, it was our our concept for the conference was to look at boundaries and someone like Alyssa, who is, you know, who has written in most subgenres <laughs> yeah. at this point, um, 
you know, is constantly pushing at these boundaries and, and making people uncomfortable. And, and it's, it's so much fun to read her because of that. Um, have you read, have you listened to the AI who love me yet? Not yet. Okay. Not you yet. got to, because that's, that, that has some boundary pushing ideas yeah. that I, I, that I so love. Yes. Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. I just finished reading the next to last book in the Reluctant Royals, the, mm. uh, the novella. The catch, uh, what is it? Can't. Oh gosh. Why did it just go out of my head? Is it Reggie's story? Yes. Reggie's story. Yeah. And you know, it like always just spectacular. She's, mm-hmm. she's been my favorite author for the last few years and I, I don't see that changing. No, I feel great that I, you know, I discovered her reading her when she was doing uh, sci-fi for, or paranormal. Well, it was post-apocalyptic for yes. Karina, uh, the radio silence and those books. And I remember writing to her going, okay, but where in Rochester were they? <laughs> <laughs> and she's like, oh, please don't overthink it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, okay. Exactly. Um, so um, like to see her career take off and the amazing books that she's put out in the world. And I love that. Yeah. She now gets like uh, Regina King and Mindy Kaling to read books. That's, that's what I want to see more in the world. Yeah, exactly. Fabulous. Well, thank you so much, Steve and folks watch out for news or a possible digital version of the conference. I hopefully that will be able to be put together and all of us get to enjoy those amazing speakers. And We're have your organizing power. Yeah. <laughs> we hope you enjoyed this episode of Rom Book Pod, inclusively yours, a weekly podcast celebrating inclusive romance one trope at a time. If you like weekly recommendations on inclusive romance, please take a moment to subscribe. You can also follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Pinterest at Rom Book Pod. That's R O M B K P O D. Thank you for joining us, and until next time, happy reading.